0: Welcome to another edition of Wampa Radio. This is episode number five of podcast focusing on Star Wars Unlimited TCG. We're going to go and, you know, dangle our bits into various different uh, little pots, as it were. But, um, uh, Charmer, you already seem completely done with my nonsense.
1: Yeah, it did not take long for us to get there. Normally, I'm the one that ruins the flow, but. It looks like you're learning from the best, taking was, it from me.
0: Was it dangly bits?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Okay. Well, um remember when the Sarlacc was kind of went from being just this like spike pit to some kind of plant beak tentacle thing, you know? I like I picture those tentacles as the dangly bits that are constantly going all over the place does that
1: oh gotcha see I always thought it was like a big worm and maybe those were like whiskers but you're going for more like a vegetative yeah uh, you know pistol and stamen type thing
0: yes exactly so well
1: welcome to the botany podcast my name is charmer
0: <laughs> <laughs> the robotany podcast <laughs> oh
1: yeah that's that's actually a pretty good yeah
0: that that is that does that float your boat as it were Welcome to Robotany. <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, so that floats much. it. You know what? You can't cramp my style because I think uh, after like 900 attempts, I have created my own iced coffee with uh, minimal uh, calories in it. So this is how I am staying fresh and clean uh, in that uh, regard. As I, I just noticed that as I was sort of adjusting my camera on the uh, on the uh, the actual on the fly here. I'm gonna have to redo it, but we'll just say that this is good for now. It's all good. We're fine. It's uh it's great because this is an audio platform. <laughs> yeah. We're good. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. We're not actually live. I was just trying to like mess like mess around with some of the things and then I realized that like I was just there's nothing beneath me. Um but uh yeah, we're fine. We're good. It's all you know good.
1: What? You know what is beneath you? What is that? Learning about Star Wars video games, apparently. Because I had the duty of coming up with our Wampa Cave Poll of the Week. And I think now is a good time for us to go through the results. So let's pop that up now. All right, this week we were talking about the main characters. I don't really want to say like protagonists, if you will. But main characters, because some of these you could go either way. Uh, of famous Star Wars video games, because I feel like there are actually a lot of really cool and interesting characters in the Star Wars universe, and especially some that are only in video games, or some are in, like, expanded universe, but they they kind of birthed themselves in that realm. So the four options were Cal Kestis, who is fresh on everybody's mind with uh, Jedi Survivor, Dash Rendar, who's near and dear to my heart, one of the reasons I fell in love with Star Wars in, like, the video game setting, Revan we opted to go with just Revan instead of Darth Revan because I didn't want to you know push people in any one direction technically when you play that game you can be good or bad that's kind of the beauty of uh, you know Knights of the Old Republic and then Starkiller so this was actually very surprising to me because this poll was far closer than I thought it was going to be
0: all right, so full disclosure here ladies and gentlemen. Um I have played about f- maybe 8 hours of Knights of the Old Republic and I know a lot of people say that it is probably the best Star Wars video game ever made and I'm cool with that. I came from the land of X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. You know, my 56k modem blasting um TIE of TIE Fighters out of the sky. That was my introduction to Star Wars video gaming. That turned into well, sorry, it was N64. It was uh, Shadows of the Empire. That was like my first yep. bit. I played a little bit of like Super the Super Nintendo version, uh like Super Star Wars or whatever it was called. I, I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I love those kind of side scroller action games. Um but I don't know Calcastus uh intimately like everyone else does because I don't play RPGs. I don't. Um if I want a good story, I don't it's want It's
1: not really an RPG though. Well it's kinda of like it's like an action RPG kind right. of.
0: But I come from the land of, you know, streaming video games and card games where I have time to think my moves, talk to people, etc. Like, I've played stuff. People are like, you should should stream Knights of the Old Republic. But the thing about it is, like, as I'm trying to listen to the dialogue and absorb the story, there's people saying things and I have to interact with people and a lot going on and whatever. And then when I'm like, okay, I'm going to play it on my own privately and then when i'm sitting down to play it in my head i was just like well i have like 40 star wars books that i have left to read so i'd rather just sit down relax and do that it's it's not you know it's a little bit more letting yourself go into that world without having too much agency over it i don't have to worry about my decisions about finding this there's no stress so i typically do not play star wars story-based video games for that reason. So in all honesty, Cal Kestis, uh, you know, Raven and Starkiller, these are, I don't have the same relationship as a lot of other video games, but Dash Rendar is my guy because I think I've replayed Shadows of the Empire for N64 about a two and a half dozen times.
1: All right. Let me let you in on a little secret that I think a lot of people don't utilize enough, especially if they're gamers, because there's this thing called pride that often gets in their way. Mm-hmm. You can, like, in the background while you're working on stuff or whatever, put on uh, no commentary playthroughs of video games because there are YouTubers that just specialize in that and experience story-heavy games in your free time without having the stress of having to actually play it. So, like, you could, theoretically, while you're working on stuff or whatever, instead of having Netflix on a second monitor, you could pop up just a playthrough of knights of the old republic or you know jedi survivor or you know the predecessor jedi survivors obviously the newest one uh jedi fallen order was the first time we met cal kestis but i know a lot of gamers don't like to do that because they're like well i want to play but if you don't think you're ever going to get to it and you want to just enjoy the story there's no harm in doing that it's just like watching a tv show in my mind
0: okay uh that's fair that's fair. Uh, as it is, though, the uh, Wampa Cave poll results is uh, Darth Raven getting the win with a 34.8% of the vote. Next up, Cal Custis at 27.3%. Starkiller, which uh, for those little factoid, was actually Luke's last name in the original rendition. Yes, it was. In the original scripts, George Lucas, he was supposed to be Luke Starkiller. He was not. He was Skywalker after that uh 19.7%. The remainder, the 18.2 that's floating goes to my boy Dash Rendar. So, um, either there's 18.2% of the people who have uh taste or there's, you know, 81.8% of uh, respondents. <laughs> to be fair.
1: It's an older game and I think two of those yeah, will, but it checks are probably out. you and I. Yeah, that's true. Uh
0: <laughs> like, it's an, it's an older game but it checks out.
1: You know, I will say Star Killer has a special place in my heart uh the main character's name is actually Galen uh but I didn't want because Galen's used a couple of times in the Star Wars universe and so I didn't want to confuse people so he just went with Starkiller so you knew that it was about uh that specific character but the reason that I partially enjoy that character is that it's voiced and acted by the same person who does Darth Maul's voice from Clone Wars and Rebels right so it's Sam Witwer uh, in fact, the character in the game looks just like Sam Witwer, kind of the same way that uh Cal Kestis looks like the, the actor there as well. It's like modeled after Sam Witwer. And so it, it is kind of interesting or weird when you go back and you replay any of those games, because I hear a little bit of the Darth Maul. <laughs> but I just, I enjoy his work uh, as an actor. So I think that, that, that one's got a special place in my heart too.
0: What a... Torch to pick up and really carry with you because you know, um, oh my god, the actor who played Darth Maul, who played Toad, Park. uh, yes, Ray Park. I apologize, Ray yep. Park did a great job, um, you know, bringing the, f- the fearsomeness, the actual menacing presence of Darth Maul, no pun intended, to the screen. And though he didn't have many lines. You know, uh, besides what, at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi or whatever. And then you have the voice actor who gives Darth Maul that, you know, that that mild psychosis, that obsession uh, that drives him in crazy and crazy and sort of leads him into exile and to this rebirth to who he becomes and his quest to exact revenge on Obi-Wan, which, in my opinion... The way that that ends, and we're not going to give the spoilers if you haven't seen Rebels or whatever. The way that that arc ends is so beautiful. And the details within it, too, how it goes down. And there's a lot of videos that break this down. And I highly recommend, if you haven't seen it, watch the scene where Maul confronts Obi-Wan. Watch that entire scene, and then watch some of the breakdowns. Because you'll catch a lot of the little subtle romantic parts of it that are just glorious. That 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 sort of you you look at it, you watch it, and you're like, yes, yeah, somebody cares. Somebody is yeah. a fan.
1: And they definitely understood where Star Wars as a whole, from a, a filmmaking perspective, got its start, got its roots, right? Everything about that scene is all of the things that I think star wars borrowed from in its infancy and then it's just coming full circle it's so incredibly well done but i will also say you know my apologies to ray park because the roles he's most famous for are either non-speaking roles right so obviously darth maul Uh, Many people don't realize he was Snake Eyes in the G.I. Joe movies as well, but you don't get to speak. And then the one time he does actually get to speak, he's Toad in X-Men, and he has that really bad exchange with Halle Berry. Like, I'm I'm sorry, I love the X-Men films. They have a special place in my heart when they first came out. It came out on my birthday, saw opening day in the theater, but man, some of the dialogue is bad. So, like, even when he does get a, a speaking role, it is not good.
0: Hey, Charmer, do you know what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning? Oh, I don't know, Flake. What is it? The same thing as everything else. Bam! And then you got, like, a CSI Miami cut to cut to black or cut to the opening credits and whatnot. Anyway, we've got uh, an episode. We're recording this a little bit early because I'm going to be on the road. I've got a lot to do. You are probably going to meet me on the road at a certain point, right? Uh, in Ohio, I believe. You're going to be... We're going to be out there in the Ohio region doing some Flesh and Blood stuff, hanging out. Um, So we are recording this currently. It is uh, the 4th of July, uh, which for me is a Tuesday. And for you, it's a hot dog eating orgy of uh, freedom and uh, all kinds of other flag-waving awesomeness. So congratulations. I don't know. Let me me
1: put it this way. If you celebrate, have a safe holiday, people who are listening in the future— Hopefully, you're not listening to this like in a hospital bed because you blew your thumb off trying to light fireworks.
0: Hey, and if you think that that's stupid, there have been athletes who have uh, ruined their careers because they now have uh, 20% less fingers than they did to catch a football. True story. Look that up. All right, uh, yeah, so we're, we're doing this a little bit in advance. It's uh, July 4th. Let's get to some of the headlines, ladies and gentle beans, uh, of which we've got some new cards, Charmer, as the, the powers that be over at Fantasy Flight Games have blessed some wonderful community members with great cards. Uh, but, uh, oh, um, I do want to say, actually, before that, as I just consult my notes, the, the winner of our giveaway has claimed the prize at the 11th hour messaged me said my bad so their card is in the mail and i think we're going to do another we'll uh, we'll set up another giveaway for a future week or, or so but again we want to thank everybody not just for pushing wampa radio over 100 followers on twitter but also 100 subscribers here on the youtube channel so you guys are awesome it has been a wonderful journey so far and we're just getting started all right new cards new cards hit us with the new cards
1: so this was debuted, revealed, however you would like to word that honor, that privilege by the I Rebel podcast. This is the Restored Arc 170. So it is a starship. It costs two. And uh, it's got two factions. It should be uh, Heroism and I believe the other one is the Vigilance. I uh, believe. vigilance. Yes, yes. Um, two power, three health. So Similar stats to, you know, the other X-Wing that we've seen. But this one, however, has Restore 1. Now, I really love this for a couple of reasons. But first and foremost, perhaps the single most important is that it's got a built-in pun, a built-in play on words. And I am a sucker for that. I love that the Restored Starship is the one that has Restore 1.
0: Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Um, (laughs) I I had a feeling. Now, again, if we're comparing this to the Alliance X-Wing, both cost two, both have a 2-3 stat line. The difference here is that you're getting that little extra keyword because of the restriction on the deployment. As the uh, Rebel X-Wing, I believe, is just heroism, not vigilance, if I'm not mistaken. You now have this, which is the same stat line, the same deploy cost. You slam in the extra aspect as a restrict a deck restriction, and now you're sort of rewarded with the restore. And if you played other card games like Magic, you'll know that a, like, for instance, a two-drop, if it's one black, one colorless, versus a double black uh, two-drop, you're getting so much more by adding extra, you know, resource-related restrictions to it. So I think that this is going to be a pretty decent card. I mean... I think that as a 2-drop space unit, you know, a 2-3 restore, I think that the only thing better than this would be if they come out with something that has, like, a 2-3... Like, restore is a cool stat line. I just don't like restore, in my opinion, on low drops unless you can heal above your 30 on the base, right? Um, otherwise, what we've seen now, though, is vigilance and restore are... Uh, like, heroism vigilance is the same duality that you get in Yoda, And here it is on a space unit, the same duality, both with Restore taglines.
1: Yeah, I will say the thing that jumps out to me about this, though, and I think this also matters uh, quite a bit because we talked about this last week, right? And it's the design. Restore only triggers when you attack with the unit. So while I agree with you, I don't normally like units, especially low-cost ones that gain you health unless you can overheal. There is also... The fact that you can just sit with this in your backline until you have taken some damage and then opt to engage with it get that health back on your base right it's not like straight lifelink and so using this i think strategically because of the way the keyword works i think is going to be part of navigating this game in general so uh you know worst case scenario it's just like the alliance x-wing that we you know talked about last week which Uh, Again, that was, as you said, uh, same stat line, but just heroism, Uh, same keywords as well. So rebel vehicle and fighter are uh, like the tags, if you will.
0: The most important thing here is the fact that, again, the stat line deals with a TIE fighter uh, pretty well. It's susceptible to an interceptor. However, it can trade (laughs) with an interceptor like it's just that same kind of, you know, yeah. Um, ultimately, I, yeah.
1: I just want to say, how long before in this game we get the you know dies to doom blade
0: memes? Oh, dies to interceptor. We could just, right just start those right now. Yeah. Dies to interceptor. Yeah.
1: Dies to interceptor. Dies to interceptor. Garbage. It's not good. Dies to interceptor.
0: Like literally right now, as I dive back into Magic the Gathering standard, everything I play just dies to cut down. Like, I'm just, I'm like, what am I playing this? Like, everything just dies to cut down, or or go for the throat, and yeah, it, it's, you're not wrong. Uh, dies to Interceptor, so uh, we'll give it a 0 on 5, because it dies to Interceptor. When in reality, again, not knowing what all the cards are, I think you and I should probably go through, like, once all the cards are released, we'll do a more, a much more robust breakdown of the cards, giving them kind of like a star rating, or, or whatnot. But as for now, I think that this is a significant, obvious upgrade to the X-Wing. However, I think from the perspective of a keyword latched onto this, I would much rather have a plethora of other keywords versus restore. I'd rather have shielded. I'd rather have raid. um, I'd rather have... I don't think I would want something like sentinel, but restore is better than nothing. So this goes into any... In my opinion right now, it's going into any Vigilance hero. uh, hero heroism deck that can fit it in and x-wings be damned next oh sorry i was gonna
1: say no i was fine i was just about to say so the next card that we had revealed this week uh this came from main deck is an event this is repair it costs one this is only vigilance and uh it does say supply which is interesting. It's it's kind of like the uh, you know tag associated with the event, because we do know that there are some events that will have things like tactics and things like that. Uh, it's interesting to see supply be one, so we'll have to keep an eye out for how many cards have that and how they might be utilized. Now, it feels very straightforward, but I think this is one that could have a lot of power. Uh, this says simply, heal three damage from a unit or base. Now, because in this game we know that The units have a persistent health pool with damage. It doesn't clear at the end of the turn. Being able to heal a sentinel, right, if you're trying to play a defensive deck and and block the lanes so that people can't get to things is going to be a pretty big deal. And at costing only one and only having the one, you know, faction requirement and vigilance. This is uh, seemingly playable. Obviously, we don't know until we see everything else, but it doesn't feel bad.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel bad. What we do get here is a little bit of information because, once again, vigilance and restoring of damage. You know, healing damage is now part and parcel, I think, the identity of what vigilance is. We've seen two vigilance units with restore. We now see another card from vigilance that offers healing or protection-related things. Um, So that, I mean, we'll see how things shake out, but right now, if, if... If the card game is designed with the same care that I think it was, then the designers are going to lean on certain ideologies, certain archetypes, certain strategies that are linked to colors. Um, If we're going to talk about this from another card game, let's say Magic. In Magic, green is like the big creatures, the big monsters. Black is about destruction and killing things. Red is about direct damage and aggression. Blue is card draw and denial... Uh, and white is like protection and stasis and 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 that kind of thing, right? I like
1: to say, at least in Magic, blue is rules for thee, not for me. Yes, like, you're only allowed to you know draw <laughs> one card per turn. I'm going to draw lots. Correct. You're not allowed to cast spells. I am.
0: Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, the fun is a zero sum game when you're playing blue, but that's kind of what we're getting over here. And as new cards come up, we'll be able to better evaluate. But again, it's a one cost common. Restore three health. You see this kind of thing in a lot. It's healing salve in magic. It's mm-hmm. sigil of solace in flesh and blood. Every card game has something similar to this. You know, Hearthstone has a- it.
1: A- absolutely. And I, I just wanted to say that I have found cards like this tend to have more value in games where damage is persistent. Right. So that's the main reason I wanted to call it out. I don't think that this is going to. You know, be a barn burner of a card, but it's definitely better in a game like this where the damage sticks around as opposed to like a Magic the Gathering, for example.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Healing Salve or, or a card they're of the same caliber of Healing Salve, which is like I think Healing Salve says something like restore three or prevent the next three damage. So it does understand that there's no persistent damage in Magic, but you're absolutely right. Healing three or healing stuff, you know, in Hearthstone, it's the same way. You want to heal your powerful units. You want to give your opponent a headache being like, you know, this is basically telling your opponent, if you need two turns to deal with this, this is going to mess up your plan. You have a fat Sentinel on the board, and you know your opponent is like, okay, well, I'm going to have to come in first with, like, my Saboteur destroy the shield, do a little damage, and then pass action back to you. Hopefully, when it comes back to me, I can finish it off. This is a great kind of card to say, oh, okay, well, this jams up your plan. That completely ruins your turn. Um, I think that there's probably going to be a couple of these in uh, in circulation in, in the decks, especially when it's there's only one set of cards that are out there, you know, the 250-something cards or however many there are. You're going to see uh, a hefty amount Of these early on, as uh, the card pool is still kind of, you know, basic, core as it is. Okay, Uh, you did some sleuthing, because that's it for the cards again. It's July 4th, and uh, we're recording this five days before publish, uh, due to certain scheduling uh, constraints. So, you'll probably see that we're missing some other reveals down the line. Nonetheless, we did get some new artwork, and you... Actually, did some sleuthing on this one right here. This is a really cool one because, as it stands up to this point, most of the cards that have been revealed have been very straightforward. It's Greedo, it's Cassian Andor, it's R two D two. This is one where we don't exactly have a, you know, a, a reliable read on what this is, beside it being an event. Now, what you did a little bit of translating on this this art right here.
1: Yeah, so this is the art that if you are listening, right, so you are not watching this on YouTube, you don't get to see the visual. It's got uh, different types of stormtroopers. So your traditional stormtrooper. There's a uh, death trooper in the black uniform. There's what appears to be like a scout trooper from um, like Return of the Jedi when they're on Endor. So there's three of them against a wall, and it's kind of like this faded painting um, that looks like a recruitment poster. And so... Very clearly, I think the intent is that this is meant for you to either find or you know, maybe dig for Stormtroopers or maybe it lets you draw cards or something like that if you're playing a villainy deck. But just to be safe, because the poster has Arabesh on it, and if you're not familiar, that's the uh, writing they usually use for Star Wars. It has its own alphabet. Um, I wanted to just make sure that there wasn't any weird hidden Easter eggs. And while the text on some of the lines cuts off at various points, points because of the degradation of the poster uh it's very clearly to me saying explore the galaxy join the imperial navy so i don't know if it's going to matter because it's specifically calling out the navy because this could go either way right it's got stormtroopers that makes me think you're looking for ground units but maybe this will let you find any imperial unit and because it's the navy they're also saying hey you can find starships with this who knows uh, again, entirely speculation, we only have the art, we don't know what the actual card text will do, but if it's a recruitment poster thing, you have to assume one way or the other it's making you either search for or draw cards looking for some sort of imperial unit.
0: Yeah, a lot of the times, it, you know what it might be? It might be something like, look at the top five cards of your deck, take it, Take all uh ground units that cost two or less into hand or something like that yeah uh, or
1: it could just be an event that is like a like a card event version of what tarkin does for you mm-hmm. right like we know that tarkin um allows you to look at the x number of uh cards of the top uh cards of your deck i forget the exact amount it's four or five uh and then you get to pick two imperial units and put them into your hand right so yeah
0: yeah Uh, tutoring I think is just it's always a powerful tool Um, 50 card decks minimum they can go wider than that Um, so being able to find what you need uh, this is very much a blue thing uh, for those uh, magic players you know the look at the top five look at you know put the rest at the bottom of your deck in any order things like that Um,
1: yeah I think we're Uh, you know what? That fits with what I said earlier, though, because if there's one thing that I would describe about the Empire, it's rules for thee, not for me. So they are very much a blue, you know, if you're going magic color identity to kind of the philosophy of the Empire, they're very much aligned.
0: Yeah, they're dimir, uh, which is black and blue. Uh, if you're yep. looking for a color dichotomy from, from magic, I would say that, yeah, uh, but the artwork on this is kind of cool. I like it. I think that this is sort of the first uh, set of teases of art that are not super direct, you know, where you can't just point and say, "I know what this is going to be." But we have our ideas, and that's what we got from this. We did get another one. This artwork, um, as it's uh, as we describe it, it it's a S- imperial star destroyer that is hovering low enough in l- very low orbit over a city can't quite make out what city it is but it's 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 beneath the clouds or amidst the clouds that's how low it is you have an over the top view of this imperial star destroyer over a city where the lights in the little huts and and dwellings are lit up so i get kind of bespin vibes off of this to a degree however what we have here is a star destroyer but i get i i am hard-pressed to think that this is going to be the artwork for an actual imperial star destroyer
1: what's really interesting about this card to me is that it very well could just not be a star destroyer it could be an event because when i look at this it's low to the ground the image evokes something where the sky is oppressing that which is beneath it now I know that they said that there's not going to be a lot of direct interaction between space and ground, but you and I have called for some sort of card that does that. And we keep mentioning things like some sort of like orbital bombardment or whatever. But this also could just be something else because there's no guns firing, there's no cannons, you know, smashing the sides of buildings here. It's just kind of hovering. But maybe this says something like, you know, Because of the presence of the sky, units lose saboteur until the end of turn, for example, right? Like, it might represent, like, the watchful eye of the Empire. I could also see where this actually is a Star Destroyer card. And my reasoning for that is that I think we're going to get a couple of different cards that represent capital ships in the game. And for lack of a better term, right, if we have small, medium, large, and executor... This could be the small one. Maybe they show it against a planet side so that you're understanding that this is smaller scale. You know, it's going to come into the orbit of a planet and still hover, but it is also still a Star Destroyer. And then some of the larger ones that are, you know, huge and meant to be like the aircraft carriers, these these big hulking beasts, they'll be shown out in space. So I could see this as a card for the Star Destroyer, but it really does feel like some sort of event or tactic card where something is happening to show the oppression because that's the vibe I get from it.
0: Yeah. That's the vibe I get from it too, is that it's meant to show dominance. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, kind of like a peacocking, you know, at like thing here. And I could be wrong. I, again, I'm not, um, brushed up on my, uh, star destroyer classes. It could be a victory class star destroyer, which is a smaller version of it. But, uh, the, the vibe I get from this and, this was uh, when we get to the 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 basically the the meat and potatoes of the episode which is the 10 things that we want to see uh, still from this card game. One of them that I was wrestling with were ongoing effect related cards. Things that kind of change the dynamic, change the environment in which things are going on. Um Star Wars CCG had a lot of these. There's obviously enchantments in Magic, things of that nature. What I see here is perhaps it is a star destroyer and the artwork on this were an imposing its dominance over the city. Just saying, hey, by the way, we're here. This could be something where, if you're like, if you have a if, if this is the only if or if your opponent has no capital starships in space, all of the ground units have minus one, minus zero. So they're kind of feeling a little less, a little less, you know, uh, rebellious, rebellious, a little less rowdy. If it will. That's kind of what I'm getting from the artwork from this particular release. But we don't know yet. We're, we're not sure. Uh, could it be the first Star Destroyer? Maybe it's just a generic victory class Star Destroyer image. You know, here we go. Here it is. Uh, but what I'm super excited for, which Star Wars did so well, was... Or Star Wars CCG did so well, was give you unique named legendary-esque Star star Destroyers of, like, this is the Devastator, this is the Avenger, this is the Chimera, you Mm -hmm. know, which all had their moments within the Star Wars canon, within the lore, and they got cards, and the cards in that game had, very much had um, personality-based game text, you know, like, what did the, like, the Chimera when you had Thrawn aboard was, like, a just this dynamite card and when admiral piet was on the executor he did some crazy stuff as well or on the avenger when he was captain piet aboard the avenger like just some good stuff here but i think that this card could very well be an event and i think we're on the same kind of wavelength of it's an it's an oppressive move you know
1: yeah i mean that's what it looks like to me it it just looks like a show of force that's the best way i know how to describe it right you said it peacocking it's hey we're here we want you to know it so scurry away to your hidey holes little rebels we we got you under our thumb that's what i see or at least that's what i I get from this art
0: so the episode today is going to be the 10 things we want to see with this game again recording on july 4th i have to reiterate this because more as more information comes out some of this stuff might happen or it might not, uh, based on what they released, they might just completely throw away some of these ideas. But uh, we've got 10 things, five apiece, in no particular order. I'm going to let you lead off here, Charmer. What is one of the 10 things that you would like to see from Star Wars Unlimited?
1: One of the things that I would love to see, and I, I hope you'll see it long term, even if it's not right out of the gate, is support for deck archetypes that don't lean too heavily into heroism or villainy we know from the quick start rules that cards will never have both heroism and villainy on them right they will be one or the other and then they'll also have some of those other traits associated with them so that tells me that there is some emphasis on those two traits maybe say you know more than vigilance uh things like that and that makes sense right you don't want for lack of a better term the, the good and the bad to mix the light and the dark like that's a very I think, tantamount thing to Star Wars and its lore. However, I think there are a lot of great characters in what I would describe as the gray area. So there's an argument to be made, for example, that a bunch of your bounty hunters that are very well known are just doing their job. They're not necessarily villainous. Now, Jabba the Hutt, I think, would not shock me if we see villainy as a a trait on him after all. It's, you know, the the scum and villainy is the way that we describe some of those ne'er-dwellers on Tatooine, but there are several factions in the Star Wars universe and in Star Wars canon that are at least attempting to be neutral, right? They're not pro-rebellion. They're not pro-Empire. They're just kind of living on the outskirts, doing their own thing, kind of in the wild west of the galaxy, and I would hope that we get some support to build decks around those. Like I would love to just play like a Tuscan Raider Jawa deck, right? Just a bunch of, you know, nameless, uh, in some cases, faceless beings that are out there screaming at Uteni and, you know, taking pot shots at you on your speeder. Like, I don't know why it just makes me happy.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I think that's pretty rad. Um, uh, like I think that there there's a, this clear sort of schism between uh, heroism and villainy is because, like you mentioned, um, it's going to be very awkward when you've got Luke Skywalker fighting alongside Darth Vader, where, you know, they, they're... It doesn't... It, they're not on the same... You know, maybe, like, to me, it, if you're having that, it's that kind of separation of the two is purely so that if you do want to have these kinds of... You're going to be paying the tax over the top of of fitting in this right. aspect, right? And and I get it, and I and I totally understand it, um, but at the same time, you never know, man. Like maybe Vader and Luke were at the same bar, and somebody put on a song, and they, at the same time, they're both like, "I love that song," and then they're like, "Oh, did we just become best friends?" And it's a stepbrothers kind of thing. But one's the other one's no, dad. No.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it's uh, it's just the two of us, the Will Smith version, and oh. then. <laughs>
0: That version sucked. (laughs) I'm sorry. You know what I realized over time? Every Will Smith song that has ever been on the radio has been sampled from a other successful song in history. Every single one. You name me a song that has been played on the radio, Men in Black, Getting Jiggy with it, Summertime, I think as well, Wild Wild West. I was about to say, what about the Wild Wild West? Wild Wild West, 100% taken from something else. Um, Yeah so what
1: about uh wait 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 what about parents just don't understand
0: that might be an original that is original because but to be fair though that's when he was working with jazzy jeff that when right. he was with jazzy jeff when he was the fresh prince and jazzy jeff they were creating music he was writing lyrics and rapping and jazzy jeff was making actual music then they went their separate ways jazzy jeff still successful still does parties still does shows Will Smith, big actor. Now he doesn't have time, so he just samples music, pays the royalties, and goes on with his life. But that's not a, this isn't a Will Smith podcast. So, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. And I think that that's definitely something I would like to see as well. Um, I got one for you, Charmer. Mm-hmm. I want, and I, we discussed this a little bit in the previous episode, but I want bases to be more than just. An aspect and a health total, and I suspect that's what's that is what's going to happen. And maybe we're not going to get these in the first set, but I think that it is, uh, it, it is all signs are pointing to FFG putting out more bases that are different health totals, different aspects, maybe no aspect, maybe double aspect, who knows? But that have game text and significance outside of that of the the number and the icon. To me, I want a card that is like Yavin Four, right? And Yavin Four is a base that is well protected and hidden and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's 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 its protection is in its secrecy. So maybe the life total is different, like it's a lower life total, but it allows you to, you know, it's like the game text of it is like, at the end of your turn, you draw an additional card and discard a card. So it allows you to cycle through your deck a little bit more, a little faster, though the life total is like 25 instead of 30. Or maybe you have a, you know, you just have a double aspect base that has 20 life, you know, and maybe that's what it is. And that allows you to put in all the aggressive stuff. You go face and you don't care about the extra 10. Uh, But I really want these bases to have more significant impact on deck building and gameplay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think one of the very first things that you and I had talked about was that we want, like, the iconic Hoth base to show up. And I'd like it, honestly, to be, like, an option for both players, but in different ways, right? Like, I want the Hoth base to maybe start with shields and have less health. And then that's, you know, the entire thing, right? Like, the Empire has to get rid of the shields before they can assault the base. And... I would also just like a planet Hoth uh, location, maybe not necessarily the true base, but, you know, you could call it like the Imperial Forward Camp on Hoth or whatever, but something that gives like a bonus to AT-ATs, right, for assaulting on Hoth. I just also want it to kind of play into your deck building and your design because that was one of the things that I know you and I both loved about the old Decipher Star Wars game is that the locations mattered. And it wasn't just about, like, picking a base that was your health total or your aspect. It was literally like you would build your deck around doing things at these locations, and I would still like the choice of your base to matter in this game as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it will. I, I genuinely think I, it will. Um, otherwise, they would have just given you a life total, honestly. Uh, and like, I get it that there's an aspect associated with it, but... They're not going to print bases and seed them in packs if they weren't significant to a degree. And Star Wars CCG had a plethora of rare locations because they were important. Like you draft them at the time, or you get them because they had they were just very helpful. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see more rare bases and uh, perhaps even premium versions or you know higher end rarity. But uh, yeah, what else we got?
1: All right, so this is something that I also really want to happen because part of the reason that I like Star Wars as an intellectual property when it comes to building games is that there is so much rich storytelling history that you've got to find ways to make that appear in your game. So what I want is uh, some iconic like actions, some epic actions that do something uh, swingy in niche scenarios but that also reflect their power in a meaningful way so like i'll give you an example right you might have an action that's like um you know anakin turns to the dark side don't know what we'll call it we'll call it like vader's uh you know birth or whatever i don't know what the point is, is like if you see your opponent and they have anakin like light side anakin then your action kills their Anakin and lets you summon a Vader from your deck. You've literally turned him to the dark side or on the other side of the fence. If like you control Luke and your opponent controls Palpatine, you can gain control of target Darth Vader, right? Like you turn him back to the light to backstab Emperor Palpatine at the end. Again, it's going to be something that has like very specific setups because they're probably pretty swingy effects. But that storytelling part and being able to relive those moments that we all kind of love from the movies and the shows I think is really important. And, you know, the card art for Repair that we were talking about earlier, obviously showing the robotic hand. So there's definitely got to be something where it's like disarm. But like the art is that you're literally lopping the arm off as well. Um, something like that, right? Like they just, they have to play into those moments in my mind.
0: Yeah. there's. And I mean, this is coming from an IP That has so many iconic moments over so much media that it's not going to be difficult where maybe there's a card that is like an epic event or, or something along those lines where, you know, a trench run or uh, if like these long shot type of high, high risk, high reward or, you know, like very fringe type of things that have so many dominoes that needed to be lined up in order to have this massive bonus, this huge payoff. Where it's like, oh, if the Millennium Falcon destroys, you know, a Black Squadron TIE Fighter and Vader is on the table, Vader is shuffled back into the deck. You know, like something like that. Yeah. Or,
1: you know, we were talking about like potential alternate win conditions last week. I had thought about another one that it would be one of those things where you have to do a bunch of stuff to pull it off. But like doing the Castle Run, even if it's not like a full alternate win con, if it's something that gives you a big like you know, game lasting bonus that turns the tide, like that's something else that I think would be really cool.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, there's so many. I mean, blowing up the Death Star, blowing up Alderaan, doing the Kessel Run, completing your Jedi training, confronting Vader. There is a laundry list of massive events that have occurred that you can easily translate that that in itself can be an episode that we do where we're like okay we're each going to come up with three of these alternate win condition scenarios and we'll design the supporting cards we've got plenty to talk about baby because again we're like six months away from this game (laughs) seeing the light of day but um yeah that's a that's a pretty solid one i like that one i'm all for that okay mine my uh, the number four, I guess, uh, on the list is going to be. I want to see a lot more consistent ground and space interaction. This was a one of our my lowlights, I guess, from the previous episode and our impressions of what the rule set were. And uh, some of the listeners actually brought it to my attention that there are cards that actually do this. Like maximum firepower is a card. Maximum firepower is like one unit. One space unit or a unit deals damage to another unit, then another of your units deal damage to another unit. So you're kind of, it's like this two for one, go in there, team up, smash a unit, and it doesn't specify ground or space. It doesn't isolate that uh, isolate them there. So you might have an X-Wing and an A-Wing teaming up to take on an AT-ST or something on the ground where they go bam, 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 and, and they're gonzo, right? However... It's not baked into the rules that there's interaction. And Maximum Firepower is absolutely a card that gives me a brighter, more confident sense that th- this is something that they're absolutely going to visit. But I want there to be enough of these. I don't want somebody to say, well, I've expel- I- I've basically exhausted all of my ground resources and you own the ground now. I have no way to deal with you. Or somebody who leans heavily on space presence has no tools to tackle a ground-based deck i think cards like maximum firepower are going to be great because i would love to see you know the executor and you know uh the avenger come in and blast the hell out of like a uh you know a snowspeeder you know just it's like all right well <laughs> snowspeeder has uh three health my executor does fourteen damage to it, and my avenger does eight damage to it. And uh, the, oh, the other question is: is that, like you were been talking about these massive starships having overrun, uh, or was it overrun? Was it called? Uh,
1: uh, no, in this it should be overpower, overwhelm. I believe, overwhelm. or overwhelm. Yeah, yeah, overwhelm.
0: Imagine, like, I wonder if the overwhelm damage counts because that in itself is a strategy where you. Just use something like maximum firepower on your two biggest overwhelm units on like some weenie on the board, like some cl- poor clone trooper just came out of the vats of Kamino, and stares down. The first thing it sees is one of those long neck people, Caminoans, uh, Kame- K- I guess Kaminoans, I guess they're called, um, with their soft melodic voices, and the next thing it sees is two gigantic star destroyers blasting the living daylights out of it to overrun you for like fourteen. <laughs> so. Overwhelming for fourteen.
1: I mean, I think it's nice that you even made it a trooper. Like I'm waiting for the situation where you blow up a porg.
0: A porg. It's an O one. <laughs> yeah, it's an O one creature that's on the on the board it gets absolutely dev- demolished, and you see like Imperial Command is like, we have uh we have our orders. Uh, we You're... will here are the coordinates. <laughs> That that's
1: that's why I love it. I just love the mental image of like Grand Moff Tarkin giving the order, and he's like, "Fire on that poor again!" They're like, "Excuse me." <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're all in the uh, they're all in the home one war room, and instead of the graphic of the star destroyer going up where all the pilots are studying it, it's a mouse droid. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, we have found a strategic weakness in the Imperial defenses. So we're launching an all-out assault on this droid. It's like, okay, I see how this works. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. I wish I had any kind of animation skills because I would make that happen. That would be the meme <laughs> for sure. So yeah, that's, that's what I would like. I would like more cards that allow the bridge between ground and space to be something that is almost... A given in any deck.
1: Yeah, like uh, you know, a ground unit that causes uh, rapid unplanned disassembly, or whatever it's called when your rocket fails to go to space.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? Is this a submarine joke?
1: No, this is a this is a a rocket joke.
0: Uh, it, still it billionaires. Preceded,
1: yeah, still billionaires. It yeah. preceded the, okay. the submarine, but. You know, what? you know what's better than the jokes that only I get? What? Support for draft and limited formats as much as constructed ones for competitive play. I wanted to include this on the list because I know that they're already planning for limited play with the way they're designing and the way that they've talked about things, and I'm very excited to hear that. But there are a lot of games that I've played in the past where draft or sealed or whatever have been an option but then on the competitive side there's events that are nowhere to be found right like you do your pre-release and then that's the only time that you ever get to do sealed and there might be you know one draft tournament every six months and that's it i really hope that this is a game that will decide to lean as much into draft as it does into competitive uh and that's twofold one i think it's because it's my favorite way to play the game, and I'm always drawn to games that support that. But also, if I'm being honest, the aspect system and being able to include any card is such a cool and unique thing for limited formats that I think that it would honestly be a crime to not support it on a competitive level, because I think that you're really going to see some interesting like articles about, you know, here's your draft guide and whatever start to pop up and you're going to have a a wide variance of opinions because for some people paying that two extra might be worth it. And for others, not so much. And so, you know, the idea of like, what's your pack one, pick one, but then what's your pack three, pick one, knowing your aspects, but then you're presented with this bomb. Do you still take it? That sort of thing. There's just so much here that it would be such a waste if it was not an emphasis.
0: I'm going to give you two scenarios here and why... Uh, this draft system, I think, is going to be pretty good. And I agree with you. I think that draft needs to be recognized as a very important skill set within TCG gaming and com- can competition no matter what. Flesh and Blood already recognizes this, as does Magic Pro Tour. They do drafts and limited uh, events fairly often. It is definitely baked in and, and very entwined within how they crown their champions. What I like about this is here are the two scenarios. And again, you said pack three, pick one. You open, you're playing Magic. You open a pack three, pick one. It's a massive bomb of a card. It's not in your colors. You are inclined to take it because you can splash for it or make that happen. I have done a lot of drafting of March of the Machine with Magic Pros. People like Tandon Grace, et cetera. They've walked me through a lot of drafts and uh, they've explained to me why splashing for big cards or win like win con cards is perfectly okay if you're playing white green and there's a black card that could potentially just win you the game you are absolutely drafting it and you are changing your whole dynamic so you can do that in star wars unlimited that's scenario one scenario two and i've been in this scenario i'm drafting welcome to wraith in um in flesh and blood i'm drafting ninja I'm drafting Katsu. My pack three pick one, I've been in this scenario. My pack three pick one, I open a uh, Crippling Crush. And I'm like, I, I, there's zero way I can ever play this. It is illegal for me to play this. Would I play it for nine? Yes, I would. But I can't do that. I can't pay above a tax because it's just not legal to pay. play. Do I draft it because it's a majestic card? And I'm never going to play it. I might do it because at the time I actually knew that the per player to my left was was playing Guardian and I was passing left. So I hate drafted it because I didn't want them to have it in this competitive. I was just
1: about to say, that's what I love so much about this aspect format is that in other games, it can be the right decision to take a card that you cannot play just because you know the person next to you is going to play it and it would make their deck substantially better but that's not ever really the thought process here because now if a card is literally that good you're probably playing it in this anyway so from like the end user experience if you're the player it went from like i opened this card and it like feels really bad that i have to take it because you know, I'm not going to get any enjoyment out of it and whatever to now, like I opened this card and like, who cares if I have to pay two more? Like I'm excited that I opened it. Right. So like the experience is that much better for the players.
0: Yep. A hundred percent. I agree with you uh, on that. And again, the fact that there's no hard restrictions to deck building opens up the option where you do draft that turn three or that pack three pick one bomb that has nothing to do with what you're doing but like good players will recognize that and rare drafting aside you'll be like this is worth two on top in this format and what people don't understand is that or a lot of people might not grasp when it comes to limited is that no matter what you're doing if you're paying six or eight for a bomb of a card your opponent will likely have no answer for it. And therefore that play, whether it's on turn six or turn eight is good enough to win you that game. And you build your strategy around it. I did this in March of the machine. There's a card called glissa that has an, (laughs) at the end of turn effect, you can do one of three things, all of which were huge. And every time that card came up in draft, it was an auto pick and an auto reevaluation of how I'm playing this draft. In this game too, I'm I'm very, very confident that Draft is going to be a massive part of this game. And to piggyback off of what your desire is, I hope that they also integrate Draft into their competitive circuit. Because like you said, pre-releases are awesome, sealed events are great, but I don't want to have to wait till the first weekend of every new set to be able to go to a location and play sealed for stakes.
1: Yeah. I'm right there with you.
0: All right. My next one is something I suspect is going to be reserved for the most powerful cards in the game. And if there are, is a rare, like we don't have a rarity chart yet. But I would suspect that if there's, it goes. Let's say there's common, uncommon, rare. If there's something above that, like super rare, ultra rare, legendary, whatever you want to call it, my guess is that those are going to be the cards that have my next desire: three aspect cards, cards that are very powerful, difficult to fit into every single deck. It's a build around card. It's a a, almost like a win condition. Uh, In my opinion, cards like the Emperor, the Executor, um, the Millennium Falcon, you know, a souped-up Millennium Falcon, these are three-aspect cards. Your legendary, lore-heavy, needle-moving, you know, uh, presences within the IP are going to be three-aspect cards. I would love to see those.
1: Yeah, I also think that something that we will likely see on the the really powerful cards. I hope we don't see it on too many because I also think that helps to kind of preserve that uniqueness. But I do hope that we see it because there's got to be something in the mechanics that nudges new players into a direction when they're choosing their factions. I think a lot of times uh, veteran card game players in particular, we forget about how the new player experience and what the process is of of learning a game for the first time and how that requires some pretty obvious kind of flags pointing you in a direction, right? So if you think in Magic, for example, tribal stuff is very, like, hit you in the face. Oh, I just put all the goblins together. Mm -hmm. Oh, I put all the elves together. And it makes some semblance of a deck, right? We got to have something, I think, in this game that points players in a direction to say, okay, if I want to play, like, the Luke deck these are the aspects I'm supposed to play and maybe printing some big like three aspect card is the way you do that right because then you say hey this is the card that I want to be my top end to be my big splash my finisher all right well I'll run these three factions so that I can play it two turns sooner it makes sense it's nice it's elegant and it's new player friendly as far as like that nudging so um, I, I do hope that they exist at some point, even if they're not in the first set and that they're they're kind of used for that purpose.
0: What else we got? All
1: right. So this this is uh, entirely a vanity one, but this is something that I think is so easy for, for them to do and it would be such a big win. Uh, generic cards with either alternate art options or like larger art pieces represented across different versions of the card so I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples that come to mind um in gwent which is a game that you covered for many many years uh, there were some common cards where there were different pieces of art on them they were the same card right but it, it was imagined if you're looking at like a mural of a painting right And version one is like the first third, then there's like the middle third and the last third. So if you put them all together, it's all one like long art piece representing these cards. I think something like that would be really cool for this game, where if there are, just as an example, different Alliance X-Wings that exist, they're all still commons or whatever, or maybe some of them are more rare in their chase versions. But if you get all four, right, then when you're building your deck and you can put all four in and, you know, they're on the field next to each other... They're the same card but they look different but part of the same picture like i've always loved cards that do that star wars is definitely big enough where you can represent that especially when you think of their epic space battles you know some of the epic uh, battles on the ground i think that you can split that up and and do that the other thing that i think would be a really easy win is for certain generic cards to have uh, alternate art versions for uh player identity so if there is a generic lightsaber right not a Darth Vader's lightsaber or a Luke's lightsaber but just like generic lightsaber print versions of that where it's the exact same card but you have a blue one a green one a red one a purple one an orange one a yellow one etc right and again you might make some of the other colors more rare or whatever but just giving players to pick their favorite lightsaber color for all their generic ones you will absolutely get people that chase down certain colors like it's such an easy win, and i would really love it as we start talking about like alternate art stuff um i would also really love it if they explore different ways to make the colors pop so like imagine monochrome like alternate art versions where like the card is monochrome except for the lightsaber color or maybe foil but only the blade is foiled or whatever. But for me, like that was the thing. I just think that star Wars is a big enough universe. And there's going to be a lot of these kind of like generic cards, generic stormtrooper, generic X wing, even generic lightsaber, where you can give us alternate versions of the non characters to still make those like chaseable. Like everybody's going to want a Vader or a Luke or a whatever, but you can also make people excited for the generic cards. If you just give them a little bit of difference.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot, that I want to talk about. First of all, when you mentioned Gwen, yeah, those were called triptych arts, which were like you said, same card, three artworks that create when they're next to each other, creates a bigger perspective. One of the biggest outcries from the community was there was a card, uh, these three cards called the crones. If Mm -hmm. the, the game text was, if you play one of the crones, the other two would come out of the deck and play next to them. And what drove people crazy was that they would just come out randomly and go, left to right, whatever order that they were played. And people were like these, they're like quality of life improvement, can we get it so when you play one they all show up in the proper order so the artwork is correct. And they coded that and everybody was like easy win easy way yeah
1: didn't they do that for the witchers too with like siskel and yep
0: the eskel i think it is uh or eskel
1: yeah yeah, sorry yeah Uh, i don't know why my brain was trying to go siskel and ebert there when i know it's yes ebert was
0: there too yeah yeah
1: siskel and ebert you know known witchers
0: and then out of nowhere roper came in um anyway yeah
1: he he replaced uh henry cavill in in season four i hear right
0: i hate you so much uh um so (laughs) There was that and again I, I highly agree with you here and all you need to look at is the Lord of the Rings set from um from Magic the Gathering. There are ring wraiths. Ring Wraith is a card, it's an uncommon. Uncommons are going for about fifteen dollars because they have nine variants of one for each ring wraith. People are collecting them because they're beautiful looking cards. If you if you get like a full art foil ring wraith those are like 40 or $50 because people want to collect all nine in the best variant they have. And like you mentioned, you said this, the lightsabers, I was thinking like kyber crystals, the same thing. If you're like, well, the green or the blue lightsabers are seeded in such a way where like 80% of them are, or like 50% of them are blue. Uh, 20% of them or 25% of them are green, you know, of them are uh, red and then the remainder 5% are purple. I think that would be crazy good. And the problem here is that I don't know if FFG has the same kind of Wizards of the Coast Hasbro money because we discussed this late, like early on in the show that one of the biggest costs associated to developing a card game is the art. So Mm -hmm. if all you're doing is changing the hue of a lightsaber that can maybe circumvent i don't know the legalities i don't know the contract like if somebody submits a piece of artwork does that mean like hey you can't touch it and if you want to change the color you're paying me twice i don't know how that works but i think that that is an easy win and if anything if you want to sell boxes alternate art star wars ccg did it they did a lot of their rares you can get an alternate art mall you can get an alternate alternate art of all the Jedi and those go for big money because people, like you said, they want to flex baby. They want to show up, not with the easy seated blue lightsaber. They want to show up with the super rare purple lightsaber. You know, they want to be like, Hey, this is only 5% of the lightsabers printed are purple. And I got one. I think that that's a, a, a easy, easy win for FFG. Speaking of which, This is a good segue to my next desire, which is on the topic of vanity, cosmetics, etc. What I want to see is vanity and cosmetic based chase cards, not staples, not high rarity card. I I don't want strong cards, playable cards that people want three of hidden behind the highest rarity tiers of legendary or whatever is above rare as it were and you know they're going to be printing stuff that's above um rare everybody does it every card game that's out there has something above rare be it majestic mythic whatever and even further than that card games are now printing things that are like one per case so or fableds in flesh and blood which are playable cards that are like one out of four cases one out of like you know. 500 packs or five or a or thousand packs. So I want those types of rarity collectible cards. Those, the, those cards that the whales that are, are chasing after are not, you know, only there. I want it to be like, Oh, you've got the leader Vader. That is a rare. Cool. Did you know that there's an alternate art, super foiled out version That is like the ultra rare chase card. It's one out of 10 cases. Like, you got it? Great. It's a $600 card. Congratulations, you pulled it. Everybody else who wants to play that card can go buy the $2 version or the dollar one that's a rare or 50 cents or whatever. You're You're not hiding gameplay behind a paywall. But for the people who are very, you know, horny for that kind of bling you can go out there and get it. Ed, Ed, but it's... it's it's.
1: This is where we, we dip into sports cards for some inspiration because Star Wars is like a unique intellectual property where you could do some of the things that are done in like collectible sports cards. Imagine you get the game-worn jersey Han Solo and it's like one of the stunt doubles jackets has uh, been shredded and put into cards or... You know, you get the autograph for Vader, but it's James Earl Jones's signature on it, or just something silly like that. Like,
0: was it was it Kiss? I think it was Kiss, the band Kiss, that they print. They one of their albums they printed. They each put each member put their own blood in the red ink for printing of the, like either the album cover. For like the vinyl, like the sleeve, or it was the actual pressing of the vinyl itself, which was so weird to think of. But I, I, I'm I'm almost certain that this is an actual thing where it's like the first thousand prints had their blood within the ink of some aspect of the of the printings or whatever. So don't bark up that tree because I am proudly a uh, a, a staunch defender of cheapest legal version is what i'll play but the the addendum to that is unless it's star wars and the ultra addendum to that is is han solo is han solo yes so that's why that's why i
1: started this with game worn jersey han solo jacket oh, i know
0: cuz if you're there and you're like it's it's like oh this card but again the problem there is well you know what it might not even be a problem because cards that start the game on the board can be whatever shape size or whatever that they are right so it'd be for like your leaders yeah your leaders or it's like you know uh if your base is like Jabba's palace or whatever like in in it is like a piece of gamorian guard skin you know like from the costume that's printed they're not gonna do that because imagine
1: you like you rub your thumb over some rubber and it's like from Jabba's animatronic suit or whatever
0: Or, what if there's, like, you have, like, a, a Wampa Cave, and it's Scratch and Sniff, and you could scratch the card and smell the Wampa Cave, and it smells like ass. Wholesale, no, full-on, free-range ass. A,
1: the cave is going to smell fine. It's the Tauntaun that you got to about Oh,
0: yes. Okay. Tauntaun Carcass is going to be a base.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. You know what? It, it should be an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> you give your give your character,
0: oh, uh, give your character, yeah. And if you're on hoth, if if you're if your base is hoth, your your uh you get plus one like health on your character, <laughs> but you smell like pure pure grain fed ass. <laughs> okay, just take it away from here, please. We got we got two um, left. We got two left.
1: All right. So the last one I want to cover. Uh, yes fully upfront about this being entirely self-serving however there are other reasons Uh, i hope that we get some broadcast support for large organized play events now clearly both uh, flake and myself we do commentary for card games we have for many years we enjoy doing it we would love to work star wars events it would be like a dream come true but as somebody who also plays a lot of card games that i do not do coverage for it can still be quite the pain to get good quality info about how events are going even like days after the fact when there is not any sort of broadcast coverage and as a competitive player right and if you want a good thriving competitive scene i think that it is sometimes um not really valued the way that it should be because of how quickly it disseminates good information to the community that care about your competitive events so i don't want to be in a situation where you know if there's a a big event in california or you know again global phenomenon right it's star wars it might be something overseas right at an event in australia or um you know the asia pacific region you know i don't want to be in three discords pinging people to be like hey did you get a decklist do we know who won what were they playing how did it go I- i've been there and it's and it's not fun so even if and again i hope that we do get the opportunity to work but even if they do organized play and flake and i never get to cast for it i still want them to do broadcast stuff for it because as a actual player as a as a consumer of competitive content it is it is a really big deal for kind of cultivating that community
0: dude um i'm glad you put it on the list because i didn't have the uh, the shamelessness to to throw it on there although i definitely wanted it to listen uh,
1: a long time ago um somebody that i respect very highly got in my head because i've got some issues with uh, imposter syndrome and so i offer this advice to any of our listeners uh what they told me is that you need to let other people tell you no if you tell yourself no before you start then you have your answer right but all you can do is ask let somebody else tell you no if you got that job you want put in the resume if they don't give it to you okay great but you let them tell you no so that's where i'm at
0: sage advice it works, trust me. Um, if I if I listen to my inhibitions and my restraint at all times, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Uh, that's just a fact. So, uh, yeah, broadcasting would be just great for competition and whatever. And from the discussions that I've had with people at FFG, they're pretty serious about this. And uh, I can't go into too many details because we're not allowed. But... That's, <laughs> we're not allowed. I'm not going to lie here. Uh, but we're, we're not allowed. However, what I am very much uh, suspecting is, and again, I can't confirm because I don't know 100% or I can't tell you. I would suspect that they are going to do broadcasting. And I think that that's something that all competitive card games need to have, at least the higher tier of events, um, to just kind of show that, hey, this is, we... we the reality of it is that the ROI on this, the return on investment when it comes to broadcasting is minimal. It is minimal. It is an expense. And people will argue and say, but it's marketing. It puts the name out there. You put good people and, and all this stuff um, in front of people's eyes. And if they can create an environment where the casual player will tune in and immediately be gripped by the card gaming and the narrative created by the broadcasters. And for those who... You know, I hate to sort of toot, toot our own horn on this stuff. It's not just about naming the card and what it does. You're creating a narrative, you're telling a story that, or you're basically translating the story that the players are telling and engaging the people who are out there. And yeah, you're naming the cards and the significance and whatever. But a good broadcast is so appealing. I will watch Overwatch League on mute unless somebody like Uber is uber uh, is doing the cast or somebody else who is doing the cast that drags you into it because you can watch and you can see what's going on but it when they're really painting a picture it adds so much to the game and i think that from a competitive standpoint the players who are at the tournaments grinding are not going to care too much about this kind of stuff but they are a minute percentage of the people who are consuming the game on a global scale and if an event has a thousand people at it, which I think is perfectly within the scope of reality for Star Wars Unlimited, there's a thousand people at a tournament event, you know, five to 800 in the main event, plus all the side events and all the other uh, hoopla. You're going to have another 20,000 who are curious as to what the hell is going on at that tournament. And of those 20,000, you might have. Two to 5,000 who are willing to tune in and see how it happens live because they're either bored, invested in the game, want to see how the meta shakes out, want to see how their favorite player shakes out. The culture within Flesh and Blood right now that Magic has cultivated over years is when you're talking about competitive Flesh and Blood, you're not talking about decks, you're talking about players. And that's the truth when it comes to Magic as well. There are players who are out there making names. now. It's a huge, a much larger game, obviously. But Charmer, when I talk to you about Flesh and Blood and the the people moving the needle on that, you're not tuning into the calling Cincinnati because, hey, you know, I want to see how Azalea is going to do. You're tuning in because you're like, I want to see what Brody Spurlock, what Michael Hamilton, what? Pablo Pintor, what Matt Folks, what these players are doing with new cars. I want to see how that happens. I want to see how it unfolds. I want to see the new stuff that they do. And in an environment where there's no digital client, which I don't think there's going to be for this game, I genuinely don't think there's going to be for this game, at least for a little while, I, you need that kind of presence. Otherwise, it's just rumor, hearsay, and post-game reports, you know, which well, are not as fun. Too.
1: To go even further, it's not even just the players, but it's also sometimes players and specializations at the same time. So, to piggyback off the Flesh and Blood example, uh, Flesh and Blood is a hero-centric game, if you are somebody listening to this and you're not familiar. So, when you play that game, you choose a hero. Just like how in Star Wars Unlimited, you're going to choose a hero or a leader and your base. And there are some players in the flesh and blood community that are just well known for a specific hero. So they might not be, you know, a top 10 player in the world, but they're maybe like the top player for that hero. So they still have a name for themselves. I think of, you know, Mara Ferris, for example, on Dromai. If you want Dromai info, you go to Mara. I think that you could run into something similar in Star Wars Unlimited because it's, again, leader and you know, character-focused. Yes, you're still building a deck and so forth, but the idea of, like, you know, hey, maybe somebody wants to just be the best Luke player, the best Leia player. I think that broadcasts help build that story as well.
0: Yeah, you're going to have people who are like, oh, dude, uh, I'm, I, I pulled these cards. You see these posts all the time on Reddit for different card games where it's like, oh, I, I just bought a couple boxes. I got X, Y, Z, big, big pulls. What can I build? You know, what What should I build? And then immediately, what a lot of the people say are like, oh, you got this. You should check out so-and-so's list. It's like, oh, I got some good cards like uh, Villainy Cunning Command. Well, like, oh, well, the Villainy Cunning Command expert is so-and-so. Uh, Darth Prentice, you know, he, 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 who's a friend of the show. It's like not saying that that's the truth, but it's like these are people that you can go and find out or say like something like, oh, um, I want a good restore list. Well, dude, the, the the people who are the experts on this are like the Saga cast people or the iRebel, I, you know, uh, Jedi Geek Girls really great at, uh, at, um, you know, uh, heroism aggro decks. So uh, hero, heroism aggression decks, like she's got that down pat. Go see her stuff. This is what's going to develop. And the way that you get to this point is that first year is usually volatile. That's where people are starting to posture themselves, develop their reputations. But, I mean, year one of Flesh and Blood, a lot of those names are still relevant today, man. Uh, Like Tark, the Tark Patels, the Michael Hamiltons, they're still out there blazing trails. There's a lot of people. Michael Fang, exactly. And you know that if you're going to make a deck or if you want advice, it's off of their expertise. And they're usually, for the most part, associated with particular archetypes and how do you get to know these players how do you become familiar with them how do you have that you know i hate the term parasocial relationship but how do you develop that kind of connection with somebody it's through broadcasts and getting to know them over time and again i know we're turning what is basically in some people's eyes as you know some goon who's just telling somebody what card is being played to this bigger mosaic a grander scheme picture that we're trying to paint here but i've seen it happen i have absolutely seen it happen i've been lucky enough to be a part of that and yeah man i mean i'm i'm would be honored to be able to do this but again this is not a job interview by any means but i, I think they know that we are would definitely be be interested in that okay one last one charmer
1: yeah, one last one, and I think it's uh, another good one to transition to, given what we were just talking about.
0: Agreed, because we're talking about the recognition and the notoriety of the players that are developed through broadcasts and, and um, frequent success that they may see on these broadcasts. The next one I want to bring up is an online da- like progression system database where you can see your progress. Um, Magic had its DCI system... That is defunct now. I don't know if they have something else. Magic has... Sorry, Flesh and Blood has like the gem system where you can track your experience points that you're gaining, track your past history. Who did I play against? Uh, It's all data that's within a system. XP is tracked in 90-day chunks or lifetime or by year, by region. It gives you a sense... I hate this term. A sense of uh, pride and accomplishment, which is a Reddit meme by now, but... Ultimately, when I log into my gem account for Flesh and Blood, I, I'm not going to lie. I look at it and be like, damn. I'm like, okay, I've been doing well in the past little while. You know, my ELO is such. I've gained X amount of experience points. But I want to also add on to this what Star Wars can implement. Flesh and Blood had initially, if you were the first player to 1,000 XP in your region, you got a ultra-exclusive card. It was a gold-foiled legendary headpiece the arcanite skull cap at the time arcanite skull caps in its cheapest forms were like 2 to 300 dollar cards getting a gold foil version is like a 10,000 dollar card at the time i swear to god so people were grinding that xp to be the first what i want to see and this is an idea i actually pitched to other card game companies that they're like good idea but we can't implement it yet which i'm hoping ffg might be able to do An experience points reward system, where it's like, hey, congratulations on 100 XP, we're going to mail you a a foil card. Or your your LGS has them, show them your 100 XP, they'll punch it into the system, and they will award you one. 500 XP... Congratulations, quite the milestone. Here is a exclusive, we're sending you an exclusive foil variant of X card. A thousand, like these milestones that encourage people to play and reward them, not for just winning, but for continuing to stick it out and and engaging in like something that you can work towards. Because I don't know how many times I've been playing like an armory where it's like, okay, like I can forfeit, get home, 20 minutes sooner or i can play for this three useless xp right now you know like and it's useless and i like playing the game but if there's nothing i'm playing to if that xp is kind of worthless to me in the short term you know or even the long term then i might be less inclined
1: it kind of reminds me of airline rewards you know where it when you fly you know a hundred thousand miles then you get your cool luggage tag or whatever and i'm down with that i will say i think that the really interesting concept for a happy medium for how you get awarded them would be at mid-sized tournaments now i forget i don't have the chart right in front of me but i know that they had different levels that you and i were speculating about but whatever one is like the closest to uh, either a calling or like your regional event, right? That should be where you show your XP. So if you're an XP grinder, you're likely going to those events anyway. But let's say you're not a, a true XP grinder. You've just been playing casually for a year or so, but you hit one of those thresholds by saying like, "Hey, if I if I go to this you know somewhat larger event and I show you know the TO who's running it that I have this XP threshold, I get a cool card." maybe they'll, you know, that will be enough to push them or entice them to go to that like next level. It doesn't have to be like world championships or anything, but not like the local level either. That nice like intermediate, hey, you know, it's it's a 2-hour drive. Maybe I don't want to make that drive, but now, you know, I'm more willing to do it because I know I can go get my XP reward while I'm out there. Like that sort of thing. I think that that would be a great way to incentivize people to show up and try a bigger event for the first time
0: yeah there's different ways that you can kind of tier them or reward them but ultimately nobody is going to be upset when they see that yeah i mean it's the same reason like remember when uh you know for all you console players when like xbox achievements was like the first thing and it's like the first time that that little thing, I remember playing like Halo three or something and like playing the campaign. And the first time I, I got like a two for one with the sniper rifle, an achievement popped up and I'm like, Whoa, what the hell is this? And I got, I'm like, I got Xbox points. What do they do? Who cares? I want more. And then you start researching <laughs> and it's like, Oh, if you, uh, if you beat like this boss with only a pistol, you get this achievement. And it only 8% of players have ever achieved this. It's like, I need to be in that exclusive club, much like the, like you said, the Million Miler Club or whatever. Trust me, I know. I've taken 20 flights this year so far for events. I've got another 12 booked, and there's still more coming. I am on par or I'm on pace to be like a 35 or a 50 k or by the end of the year. That is status that I've never had in society. That is something, like to me when somebody's like, yeah, your bag is free. I was like, well, pardon me. I Call me the Monopoly Man. <laughs> like that's kind of how I feel, right? And- Seeing these kinds of things pop up, the progression, it's like, why do you, like, why do I um, log into Magic Arena or Hearthstone every day? To do my dailies, because I want to progress uh, and, and earn for, you know, get rewarded for my time. And I think that having these online progression systems is a good way to do that. Because not everybody who goes to the Armory or the, uh, the Friday Night Magic or whatever is going to come away with a prize. But if they go there and grind and say, you know what, I went two and one. I didn't get the big prize, but I got six experience points. That puts me closer to this. They'll at least come away feeling like something good came out of that. And and I'm I I kind of dig that. And I think that that is just overall a good thing. I dig it. I dig it too. All right. Well, uh, we've got some fodder. For the mailbag so we are going to the bad feeling mailbag i got a bad feeling about this i have a bad feeling about this i've got a bad feeling about hey. it Quiet. what's on the docket mr charmer
1: we had two questions for this week starting with echo base gaming they say, first of all, great podcast. My question: Thank you. Do you guys think bases are designed to only provide health and aspects, or can we expect to see bases with rules on them?
0: Ooh, well, okay. Uh, this is the second episode now that I dig into the bases part. I am firmly confident that uh, I, if I were to if I were to bet dollars to donuts, I'm slamming uh, an easy G. Like, one, like fat stacks on the fact that bases are going to have rules on them. You can guarantee it. Will it be in the first set? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I think <laughs> that when it comes to first sets, usually you just play it safe. But if the next set is like, hey, uh, next set is like a hoth base set, and all of a sudden you've got, okay, well, here's a location. It's the shield generator. And the shield generator says, at the end of every three turns, put a shield token on it. But it starts at 25 health or it starts at 28 health or something like that. Um, It's also like when you have the more metrics on a card, the easier it is to balance or the more knobs there are to sort of dial in the right frequency to get a card, right Um, to play test the bases and such like, you know, maybe that shield that comes down every three turns, maybe it's worth three health ultimately over the span of a game, or it's not that effective. I am echo based gaming. I swear I am I am willing to slam down a hundred bucks right now to say that there is gonna be one in by the by set two at the very least.
1: yeah, I was gonna say that the only way we don't see bases with more rules or text on them is if there are none in set one, which I could very well see because a lot of times you start small, you start basic on your base set to introduce people to the game. I like to say, And I've probably even said it before on this podcast, but in case I haven't, I like to say that card games are about establishing a set of rules and then creating cards that break them. So set one is very much going to be like, this is what your standard base looks like. And we might not see anything outside of that on set one. After that, I fully expect differences. So much like Flake, I think it might happen as soon as set two. So I would say the only way we don't get bases with more text on them is if... We only get set one set one was generic on purpose and then a meteor hits planet earth. We never get set two. you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, that's it. I, I fully expect it to be in set two. And it's not even just the text on the bases themselves. Um, I also do think that that flake here hit the nail on the head earlier in the broadcast when he said, you know, they made it a card for a reason. They could have just given you a health total. And they could have like given you little tokens to represent your aspect or whatever. There's no way that they made these and had art created for them and did all of that for them to just leave it as a health total and an aspect. But I also think that we're going to see beyond bases with text on them. We're going to see cards that care about your base as well. Because we see that they have the planet on them, right? It's a location on a planet. So we're going to see units that say, you know, if your base is on Hoth, do... You know X instead of Y, or something like that.
0: Yeah, there's gonna be cards that are like, you know, if uh, it's gonna be like a a card that fits in all different things, So it's like if 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 you're uh, if Hoth, if there's a one of the bases is Hoth, you get this. If one of the bases is Tatooine, you get this. If one of the bases is Coruscant, you get this, and that would play into your opponent's base as well, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well I have Hoth, so I'm always getting this bonus. But if my opponent is playing Tatooine or Coruscant. This unit now is way above rate, and that could be part of it. I highly, highly suspect. In fact, I'm going to flat out just say there will be bases that go beyond a 30 health total and one aspect. That's what I'm saying. Next up, from Matt Fichtel. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. It could be
1: Fichtel, right? Sometimes CH is a hard, like, you know, Michael.
0: Mm -hmm. For
1: those who don't know, there's... uh, Bike is short for bicycle, and Mike is short for micycle.
0: No, the silence is not an auditory uh, hiccup. This is my pure disdain for you. That needed time to just gestate.
1: I I have several. I mean, it's actually kind of absurd how many friends I have that are named Michael, and not one of them likes that joke. You know what? I'm gonna keep telling it though.
0: Congratulations, uh, somebody who's not named Michael also hates that joke. <laughs> uh, asking, so Matt uh, Feichel. <laughs> 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 Fichtel, Fichtel. I'm sorry if I'm if that's wrong, Matt. We'll say uh, I can say I was disappointed to see cartoon art rather than movie stills depicted on the cards, like Star Wars CCG. How much will this impact adop- uh, adoption of the new game? Very good question because it's the first thing. It's it's the it's the the Tinder aspect of card games. If you look at it, I will be completely blunt when I say that when I look at a Battle Spirits Saga card, I get kind of turned off because it's so busy. It's so You know, there's so much going on. It's not a clean depiction of a card. I think that the card and the game is fine. Like, the the artwork is cool. I just think that the way that it's presented is a certain way. That said, cartoony, um, you know, animated art versus movie stills. Look, I'm with you on that, having grown up with Star Wars CCG. I love seeing the movie stills because... It allows me to just immediately dive into that moment and seeing what those kinds of what happened in the movie at that point and how the game text relates to that particular moment of drama or those circumstances. However, I I mean, I think uh, it's obviously it's going to I don't know, like what is more expensive? Is it paying for 250 some odd unique artworks? Or is it to pay for the rights to use the stills from the images? I like. I really, I, well, sus- I mean, I would imagine unless they're like, it's a two, it's like a, you know, maybe they're just giving us the drawn art and then we're going to see movie stills. I don't know, dude. But I, I genuinely believe that people are going to look at this and be turned off by the artwork. And if you don't have a good, like if you don't have a good, Excuse me. Rule set to support it, then you're not going to rescue the player that's already turned off from the art, and that's that to me is why a game like Metazoo is an anomaly because the artwork is terrible and the game's not that great. So how the hell did this sell out? You know how the hell was this so popular for so for you know for as long as it was? But yeah, that that's my answer. I
1: I just I don't want to say something here though because I also think that there is a bit of a generational difference, right? i loved the movie stills from decipher's version of star wars and i would absolutely welcome a game back that was doing something similar and i think that most of us who loved that game also were kind of hoping for something like that but a lot has changed since that first came out i mean that that was a game that was releasing you know even before we had the prequels at some point let alone some of the other media that we've gotten since. And so if you're trying to do something that's spanning all of the Star Wars universe now, and you're trying to do movie stills, I think that you would have been putting yourself in a poor position because you're going to take people out of that immersion if you've got cards that are like from the original A New Hope next to a character from Bad Batch. Like, I think the big difference, and I think the reason that the art is kind of cartoony, is because we've had just as much Star Wars content literally in cartoon format as we have the films. And you're trying to find a way to mix the two and make it look like one cohesive universe. And I do think that many of the people who are younger than me, um, you know, younger than Matt here, uh, by the, Matt, I mean Flake, not Matt, the uh, the viewer, I don't want to assume your age, but... Uh, Michael?
0: That Feichel? Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure that one. Uh <laughs> for me, you know, when I think about like my son, who has already watched Clone Wars and Rebels and he's watching Bad Batch with me, he is not gonna care that this art looks cartoony, right? And even people that are kind of, you know, younger than us, but maybe they started with the prequels were like, let's be honest, even the prequels are kind of cartoony with the droids and everything as opposed to the original practical effects trilogy i think that the older generation and especially ones that played the decipher game will have a different feeling about this but i don't think it's going to hurt adoption a ton i i do think there will be some that are turned off but i don't think it is as large as us older folks think it will be personally
0: I think you made a good point there when you referenced uh, Stark, uh, your son, because I think that I have to, I have to very aggressively remind myself that the player I am is a, is in the minority. Um, somebody like myself, yourself, we each have like twenty five ish years of card game experience, playing these games, making it our careers. This is something that I need to. I need to put myself aside as being, you know, I am the anomaly in this case because not everybody is going to say, oh, Star Wars, I'm immediately going to look at the rules and see if this is a game for me. A lot of them are going to be people who are saying, you know what, I've heard of games. I've heard of card games. Like, look at Disney Lorcana. A lot of people in Lorcana have jumped into Lorcana saying, I've, I've never really played a card game, but I like Disney. So let's take a look at it. And, for younger people who are getting into the game, like you said, if you see an, o- an an OG picture of Luke, you know, on Tatooine from A New Hope, they that might not be Star Wars to them. That might be, you know, the ancient texts, as it were. Because, like you said, maybe they they're in their you know early twenties and they grew up on the prequels. We I grew up watching start like the the original trilogy. So seeing the movie stills on a card game. For me, was the only way to go. But at the time when Decipher's game went defunct, there was no Clone Wars, there was no animated series or anything like that. There was no; it was just all live action. Uh, And yeah, the battle droids were CGI, and there was some of that for sure. But I think that having a hand drawn version of stuff is the common ground where you can get the computer animated stuff. You can get um the live action stuff and you can even get things like the tales of the jedi like the animated series like those types of things yeah. to meet in the middle and say we all exist in this type of artwork form however however i wouldn't be surprised if when we're talking about alternate art stuff where your your vanity chase card your one out of 10 cases vader is a live action vader from wherever the hell it's from but you got to also understand that, hey, you want to, um, you know, like you want a Bad Batch or like a Rex or a this or a that? Well, he's only in animated version right now. So how are you going to do that? Because you're going to have animated only cards anyways. Those are going to exist.
1: Yeah. Imagine if they were only doing live action. And so then they did cards for at, like all the different clone troopers. And everyone is the exact same headshot of Tamura. <laughs> Right, Morrison? yeah, it's just literally the exact same headshot. They just changed the name. On the it's, it's like this is Cody. This is
0: Rex. Yeah, and they're like, this is how you save money, ladies and gentlemen. There's this, there's this really funny Ray Romano bit where he's talking about, uh, he's doing a stand-up bit and he's talking about how uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I got, uh, I got some, I got two kids. They're twin boys, uh, which is great because it saves on pictures. I just be like, yeah, this is my son, and I have another one just like it. <laughs> it's like just kind of how it feels like with the clone troopers. So yeah, they're, they're, that's my uh, that's my response I, on that.
1: I also, I would love to see somebody do a bit where it's like employee of the month, but they don't put the name tags under them. Or maybe they do, but it's again, the exact same headshot <laughs> on the wall of clone troopers. <laughs> but
0: it- like trooper of the month. And it's just always yeah, the trooper same of one. The month. Yeah, it's underneath it is just a chalkboard. They just like scratch out the name, put the new one, but the picture is always the same. Save space. You want to save money on art? That's how you do it. And that concludes the bad feeling mailbag not a bad episode i like it i like you know doing the prediction stuff when it comes to this kind of this kind of stuff uh yeah
1: i'm I, taking the meandering route through a little bit of everything yeah we, we did talked star wars we talked card games
0: um next episode cuz i'm going to be in ohio maybe we record it together on site how do you feel about that them apples
1: i mean i'm i'm down
0: yeah 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 we'll figure it out we got some stuff to do but uh friends thank you so much for submitting to the bad feeling mailbag if you have a question for the show for myself for charmer do not be shy we would love to hear from you you can tweet at wampa radio you can also connect with myself on twitter at Watchflake and uh my uh cohort here at that charm three R because you just, that's the way you roll bucko. That's the way you roll.
1: That, that is correct. Yeah.
0: BB eating <laughs> all over the place. Thanks for that. What a, what a oh. wonderful, uh,
1: that's pro level commentary right there. That yeah. is correct. Jim.
0: I, I love it because here we are talking about how we would love to be hired to do the broadcast. And then I just throw to you and you're like, yes, yes, <laughs>
1: Yes. Sometimes I just, I, I got to give it to you.
0: You do. You absolutely do. Um, so f- from myself and all the Michaels in the world, um, I am glad that this episode is over. And we will catch you all next week on Wampa Radio. You got to sign us off. That's. I think that this we've come to the point where you're, you're always last okay. word on the yep, show. Yep, that's
1: fine. Uh, hope everybody had a safe holiday again we are recording this on July the 4th which is Independence Day here in America so I hope you had a safe July the 4th by the time you listen to this and may the force be
0: with you